So, let's get into the sermon. Third sermon in the series, The Call Within the Claim. Let me kind of set it up this way. Uh, the, the Bible story that is centered around, I'm not going to read the whole story. It's a long story. Uh, I mean, it'll be a lot of verses. So I'll just kind of tell it to you. Uh, back in, uh, a, you know, a couple thousand, a thousand years or so, seven, eight hundred years, probably before Jesus came, uh, Israel uh, was kind of, as they often got, in a bad shape. And uh, things down at the temple weren't so good. Uh, there was a priest, a high priest named Eli, and his sons were doing bad stuff. They were um, uh, stealing the offerings that people would bring. Instead of letting them offer them as burnt offerings to the Christ, to God, they would take them for themselves. They were sleeping with women. Uh, these were Eli's sons. They were sleeping with women in the temple, uh, women that worked at the temple. And so it was a pretty ugly situation. And um, when, God, when God wants to redeem a situation... He always sends someone into that situation who accepts his claim on their life and does the right thing in spite of the fact that every other people are doing the wrong thing. And they don't get overwhelmed with being outnumbered. But they understand that with God, a minority is always a majority. So what happened was a lady named Hannah, who was barren, could not have a child, infertile, she goes down to the temple to pray. You see, a lot of people think that, that when, things don't, when things become corrupt, we should just destroy them. But God doesn't do that. God's a, re a redemptive God. God's a God of redemption. And so the, the, the church or whatever it is, the family... Some families are very messed up, but God doesn't say, let's get rid of families. Let's not have families anymore because I know this family was messed up. Or I know this church that's messed up. Let's not have churches anymore. That's kind of stupid if you really think about it. What's wrong with people? Uh, but So God doesn't do that either. And, and so instead, God, now I don't understand God. I, I, would not, I would not do this and don't you as a parent take this as a, a pattern of what you should do with your child. Because we don't really want you leaving your child at the church anyway. So, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. <laughs> or your dog. <laughs> don't leave them at the church. So, uh, Hannah goes down to pray at the temple. To, so, God doesn't blow the church up because it's corrupt. It's still a place where people can meet God. And she goes and she prays with such fervor that Eli, the high priest, thinks she's intoxicated. And he goes over to kind of chide her. What do you mean coming to church drunk, you know? And uh, she says, no, I'm not, I'm not intoxicated. I'm just burdened. And so he, he, he tells her that God is going to give her a child. And she said, if God will give me a child, I will give him to the Lord. So what she did is she facilitated God's claim on her son's life. And she literally gave him to the temple. And uh, in a minute, we're going to see their after being claimed, he was called. And so that's kind of the idea of this message today. The idea of this message is the claim of God on my life goes with the call of God on my life. That I, I cannot hear the call clearly of what God wants me to do or the call to all kinds of blessings. I cannot, claim, I cannot clearly hear the call if I don't also accept the claim. They go together. Now, they're, they're not always as separated as this story, but they're always kind of go together. When, when Moses, Moses saw the call of the burning bush, he, he accepted God's claim on his life that he would go and be the Savior of Israel. You can see this throughout Scripture. So this kind of goes against uh, how we naturally flow in, in the Western world and America and a lot of the Western world. A focus, we have a huge focus on personal rights. Personal rights, personal success, self-rule. And uh, it, it may or may not extend to the rest of the members of your extended, uh, of, your, of your immediate family. If you're, if you're lucky, then it, it, at least you're in a family where self-rule doesn't, doesn't keep from what's good for the family, the nuclear family, the immediate family happening. Some of you were not so fortunate. You were, raised, you were in families where 
the personal rights of the individuals in the family was so prevalent that they couldn't even they couldn't even care about who was living down the hall or even sleeping in the bed next to them. You know what I mean? Uh, we just celebrated the 20, 246th anniversary of the uh, Declaration of Independence. And the one line that if you can't say it verbatim, we can all repeat its essence. You know what it is? One line. from the. What's the one line you know? At least you know the meaning and you know the idea of the Declaration of Independence. Huh? Okay. It says we hold. I'll, 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 you know it. You just you're just shy. We we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That we are endowed by our by the, they're endowed by their creator creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Rights, liberty, happiness are the north star that guide the average person's life. Now, I'm not about to suggest we should get rid of the idea of trying to be happy or a certain amount of certain personal self-rule, all those kind of things. I'm not suggesting that that's a... That that, that, I'm not suggesting we remove that from the Declaration of Independence. But the founders who wrote the... And I'm not going to be preaching about politics or nationalism or conservatism or any of that today or progressivism. I'm not preaching about any of that today. I'm preaching this is personal, your personal spiritual walk with God. So our nation's founders, though, even though they were not all Christians or anything like that, they, they were, they were, a lot of them were what they call deists. In other words, they believed God created everything and God was up there, but he sort of, we're in a kind of a closed system, right? And God's outside, but we have to do the best we can. But uh, they did believe in him. Here's what, here's what the, the, their found, our founders uh, were, were um, uh, they did not set the pursuit of a happy life and a flourishing life in the context of only belonging to oneself. They set it in the context of belonging to the larger community and they saw the nation state as being under God. They really did. In fact, here's an excerpt from the last paragraph of the Declaration of Independence that I, I, in the first service, only one person knew anything else that was in the Declaration of Independence except the sentence that I gave you. And that's because it was Troy Longacre, and he teaches, I'm not sure the subject, civics? Is it civics? Yeah, so he teaches it. So he, he's the only one in the room who knew any sentences from the Declaration of Independence except the one about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which we in American and Western civilization made it totally personal. Am I happy? My rights? Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So is there, I don't want to see anybody here. Does anybody here? Just, we're not, this is not, I, I didn't know either until I, I was studying and I, I went over and read it. So I'm not saying you're, you know, I'm smart and you're dumb. Did anybody else know any other sentence from the Declaration of Independence except the one about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Not one person. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? This is what's wrong with America. <laughs> it, it is kind of what's wrong with America. Is we, we, we've, we, we never re, we, we abandoned some important things. Here, I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you something. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress, assembled appealing to the Supreme Court, judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, um, solemnly publish and declare that these United States or colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives. Notice that. Back earlier, it said, in the name and by the authority of the good people. It, 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 the line before that, I'm sorry, I got lost a bit for a second. It says, we are assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intention. So we're, 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 
we're justifying our intentions by the standards of the judge of the world. Right? That's pretty good, huh? So, now we're not here to talk about the country and all of that, but we're here to talk about, does God have a claim on my life? And does God have a claim on in your life? The Bible says in Malachi 3.17, they will be my treasured possessions, says the Lord, and I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares the son who serves him. Just underline that line, if you would. They will be my treasured possessions. And then Romans 14, 7, 9, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it is to honor the Lord. And if we die, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord, both of the living and the dead. Uh, I say this, that we must grapple with the problem today. And I'm going to get a little negative and, and then hang on. I, like, I believe that God always ends on a positive. But I'm going to get a bit negative for a few minutes. Uh, because we must grapple with the problem that the gospel teaches Christ has by the crucifixion earned the right to claim us as God's possessions. When our contemporary highest values are personal happiness, personal freedom, and complete self-rule. I really believe the claim within the call is the missing element from, a, from some people's call to faith or, or even the current call to faith in many places. For good reasons, we should be cautious about anybody who tries to claim us. For good reason, you should be cautious. You should be cautious about anybody who says that I know, I know God and I, he claims you, and I'm going to tell you what God's saying to you. So if you ever want to know exactly what God wants you to do, ask me. And I will tell you what God wants you to do. You should run from that individual. Really, I'm serious. You know, the Bible says, I love this little verse of Scripture in the book of Acts. It said, uh, the, 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 the Thessalonians, Paul had been there, and he had preached to them, and they, they had been... They'd, been rejecting really of Paul more, more or less and then he went to preach to the, some people at a place called Berea and the Bereans it said they were more noble than the Thessalonians because they listened to Paul and they examined the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true now that is brilliant that is brilliant I would love it if you would take what I'm saying and examine the scriptures to see whether I'm what I'm saying is true because I'm not the North Star. I'm not the North Pole. God is the North Pole in the North Star. And that's what, that's what, see, our founding fathers didn't get everything right. But that's what they, that's what they in theory and philosophy understood. That God was, that there was out there somewhere an all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving being who, who would guide us better than we could guide ourselves. Amen? Now here's the verse where he Eli where Samuel hears the call. And the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you call me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed. Notice the claim and the call are separate. Then the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. A, a third time the Lord called him Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, you call me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at, other time, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, Lord. Your servant. See, he'd accepted God's claim on his life. He had accepted that he was God's possession. In those days, to call yourself a servant was very clearly you understood that you were possessed by another. Now, the first thing that I want to, to say to you, I want to say uh, three things to you about the claim and call of God. And the first thing is something I think that we Christians have leapfrogged over. We need to face the weighty 
burden of being claimed. There's a weighty burden to be claimed. Uh, even though in, in one sense, and those of you have, those of us who have been fortunate enough to have a romantic relationship, uh, we know that being claimed is a good feeling in that context. Right? It's a good feeling that someone thinks you're special, that someone wants to come home to you or you to come home to them every day. But there's a dark side to that. You got to go home every day. <laughs> there's, a, there's a weighty burden to being claimed. And uh, if you don't think there is, if you happen to be in a, a relationship like that, try ignoring the obligations of that relationship. And you'll find out right away that you're not free anymore. <laughs> we Christians see, here's the problem, and I think there are a few problems. We're prone to magical thinking about commitment. We're prone to magical thinking about commitment. Because one of the stories we like to tell, we like to tell the stories of Daniel being delivered from the lion's den. We like to tell the story of three Hebrew men who would not bow to Nebuchadnezzar's image and they were thrown into a fiery furnace and they were delivered. We like to tell the story of the three Hebrew men or the four Hebrew men who went, would not drink the king's wine or eat the king's meat because it wasn't kosher and they tried this test of eating water and vegetables ten days later, voila, they were healthy. And the poor people drinking the wine, eating the meat, were not were in such great shape. We like to tell the story of David slinging the stone and killing Goliath. Those are great stories, and those are the ones you tell your children, right, when you want to teach them about what God is like. But we're leaving out a lot. Uh, let's go back to Babylon. You know all those stories I told. Uh, I, I think I told. I think I mentioned three or four stories from the Book of Daniel. Book, book of Daniel is like a favorite book for anyone writing a children's storybook for children, right? Because it's got these, these incredible stories. But, you know, it wasn't all miracles. They were captured. <laughs> they, were, they were chained and made to go live where they didn't want to live. There's, there's some, uh, many scholars believe that the men were, were made eunuchs. Uh, the, most people believe that's true. That, that, that's common in the East. Th that's why you have no the reason you have no evidence of slavery in the Muslim countries today is because all the, all the male slaves uh, were emasculated. So uh, they had also watched their country be devastated. They'd watched their temple destroyed. They'd watched the walls of their city burn down. They had watched hundreds and thousands of people murdered before their eyes. They had watched their own king have his eyes gouged out. I mean, we've got to stop this fairy tale idea of the world and of life with God. Because it doesn't because you suffer, it doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. Because life is difficult does not mean you missed something or you don't have enough faith. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, Jeremiah was a weeping prophet who wrote about that, the captivity of Babylon. And, and he wrote a whole book called the Book of Lamentations. I just, I just somehow can't imagine a celebrity pastor today writing a book about sadness and mourning and weeping. A whole book. Get my book, How to Have Your Most Sorrowful Morning Life. <laughs> Love God. Well, I, I told you, I told you it's going to get negative for a while, but hang on, hang on. I know, that, I know that it's hard for Westerners to hear their suffering and that there's glory in suffering. Hang on, hang on. One, one thing, if you, if you will embrace glory and suffering, you will actually enjoy your life more. Because life is going to give you a certain amount of suffering. And if you accept it, 
you can rejoice. You can say, oh, everything is on schedule. I'm suffering. <laughs> also, modern Christians, we tend to believe the Holy Spirit will magically create a bubble of tranquility, painlessness, peace, and ecstasy even to surround us in every act of obedience. We're Jesus walking on the water. We're David slinging the stone, you know. Read the whole book, for goodness sake. <laughs> Paul, Paul, Apostle Paul said one time, now, if Paul wasn't in the will of God, nobody's in the will of God, okay? <laughs> if Paul's not in the will of God, I'm never in the will of God. <laughs> Paul goes, we despaired even of life itself. I, I want to say, Paul, haven't you read... Haven't you read the book? You can't be confessing negative stuff like that. I got five books for you to read where, where you know, actually, Paul, you brought it on yourself because you said it. You confessed it, and now you produced it. <laughs> no wonder we're struggling. Modern Christians tend to believe that, though. And of course, of course finally, to be directed and ordered to do something, that's the opposite of being loved and cherished, to be ordered to do something. If I order you to do something, obviously I don't love you. If I order you to do something, if I say you have to do this, and all through the scripture God's telling me I have to do stuff. It's like he says, if you don't do this, you will reap what you sow. <laughs> you got to do what I tell you or you're going to reap what you sow. Okay, is that enough being negative? Is that enough? Can we just move on? Uh, let me give you... Let me give you a couple of great quotes from Charles Taylor, who wrote um, uh, The Secular Age and The Malaise of Modernity. And uh, if you want to just get a headache, read Charles Taylor, because he's very hard to read. But, but when you, if you can hang in there, he's brilliant, and he, he understands the world that we live in today. He's an, he's an elder guy, Catholic scholar, and he's brilliant. And sometimes we need to read the brilliant people, you know? Sometimes, sometimes see, spot, run. <laughs> Theology is just not enough, you know? It's, it's just not getting down to what's really true. Uh, the dark side of individualism, he said, is a centering on the self, which both flattens and narrows our lives. That makes sense, right? Narrows, flattens, all about you, you, me, my happy. <laughs> makes them poorer in meaning. Viktor Frankl said his book, Search for Meaning. We search, we search for, to get away from suffering when we should be searching for meaning, is what Viktor Frankl said. And less concerned about others, and others or society. He also went on to say in his book, The Malaise of Modernity, it's not just that people sacrifice their love relationships and the care of their children to pursue their careers. And I don't have a problem with you pursuing your career, by the way. Something like this has always perhaps existed. The point is that today, many people feel called to do this. That they, that they ought to do this to feel their lives, should some, their lives would somehow be wasted. Feel they ought to do this. Feel their lives would somehow be wasted or unfulfilled if they didn't do it. Like they're sinning against themselves if they don't go to this purpose, right? So that's enough not being negative. We're going to be very positive now. We need to face the dark side of being unclaimed by God. The dark side of not having God possess you. Let's think about that for a few minutes. We've consistently proven that I have consistently proven that I am no match for my own sinfulness. When I launch out on my own without God, I do the stupidest things. And I do the most self, in the end, self-destructive things. So I've consistently proven that. Eli's sons proved that with their behavior. What happens, what, what happened to the life of a young boy who accepted the claim of God and when God spoke to him, he said, uh, your servant is here, God. 
how did that compare with some knuckleheads who were running the temple, who were doing what they felt like doing, and only served their own appetites, only served their own individual self, only served what, they, what made them happy. Oh, it made them happy. Here, here somebody comes with this big prime rib to give to, to, give to God, and they go, I'll take that, because that feels good to me. But besides, God's not going to eat it anyway. You're going to burn it up in the fire. So I might as well take it. And then they, they translate. See, when you start letting down in one area, you let down in another. You start letting one appetite go, you tend to let others. And then, so they did the same thing with their sexual appetites. It's like, oh, what's it going to hurt? What's it going to hurt? What's it going to change if I satisfy my sexual appetite with those women that are available in, right in my own uh, arena? So, uh, that's a predicament that Samuel's in. Uh, we've also clearly demonstrated our ability to think logically to wrong conclusions. I'm, I'm talking about why I need God to be in charge of my life. Why I need to acknowledge His supremacy. It's not some big thing of always suffering or always being in pain. I'll talk about that in a minute. Most of my life that I've been surrendered to God has been delightful. It's been wonderful. It's not always suffering. But, but I'll, I'll explain that in the end today, what I mean by that. Is there any doubt that when God and religion are excluded, dark forces step into the void and wreak havoc? Is there any? I mean, no matter how much we might scientifically examine this and feel that God comes up short, because we can't quite prove, we can't quite prove uh, conclusively that he exists, the, the evidences are all around us, but we can't, we can't, you know, no one's mad at him really, and no one's, no one's, you don't, does anybody have God on the video, on video? Have you videoed God lately? You know, have you gotten a Facebook message from him? You know, probably not, you know, but what, what, what we, what we have is every time a culture, a nation, a family pushes God out, they become vulnerable to the darkest ways of being and the darkest thoughts and, 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 and they become vulnerable to forces that they lose control when God is not in control. In fact, I'm not even going to read. You throw what First Samuel 4, 19, 22 up there. I'm not going to read all the words of that. But it's one of the, the wives of Phineas, who was one of those sons of Eli, and she came time for her to give birth, and she got the news as she was giving birth that her husband had been killed in battle, and the Philistines had stolen the Ark of God. And the, the Ark of God, this is, very, this is very important. The Ark of God carried with it the glory of God. Now, I know the term glory of God doesn't mean a lot to us today. We don't go around using it in this way. But here's what's interesting. Is the, the, the Hebrew word for, for glory is kabod, C-H-A-B-O-D. Kabod, or kabod, some people pronounce it. And it, it, literally, it literally meant weight. The weight of something, W-E-I-G-H-T. The weight of something. The pressure of something. And, uh, and when, when she heard that the glory of God, the weight of God on Israel... God's claim, hear me out this morning, God's claim and the pressure and the presence of God's claim, the positive pressure of God's claim was lifted from Israel. She named her son Ichabod, the glory has departed. And that's what happens to us when we, don't, when we refuse to accept God's claim on our life. The glory departs from us, our lives and, you know, who ultimately suffers is the children suffer in a culture where God's glory has departed. And there's, a, there's an awful little verse in, in the Deuteronomy that talks about if you do not honor God and serve him, the beast of the field will rob you of your children. And I'm watching that happening. I'm watching it happening in America right now. 
I'm watching the beast of the field take our children all around us. All around us. We sat last night and we talked about cultural things last night down at the Forum Building. And, uh, but I told you I'd be positive. How did God fix the new weightlessness of Israel? How did God fix it? He planted a young man in the middle of that corrupt situation who totally accepted the weight of God, the claim of God, the presence of God on his life. And he saved Israel because he anointed David to be king. David from the line of the tribe of Judah. David, you know who else is from the tribe of Judah? Huh? Jesus Christ. So don't, you know, I was thinking about this the other day because I, I study the world and culture too much. And it's, it can take you to a very dark place. It can take you to a place where you feel hopeless. You know, you know, you know what will help me and make me hopeless? Is when I read the roots of things that are happening now started a hundred years ago. You know, a hundred years ago. And I thought, well, what's hopeless? And I, can't, I ran across that verse the other day, fret not thyself because of evildoers. And the Lord rebuked me. Phil, stop fretting. Just be what God told you to be. That's all, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the resolution. That's the resolution. If Samuel got planted in the midst of the corruption, and he accepted the claim of God on his life, and he heard the call of God, and he lived out the claim, and he lived out the call, and God won. And God's going to win again, amen? Finally, I realize this story of Eli's sons is too dramatic and grotesque for us to relate to, and thank God. <laughs> thank God you can't relate to stealing the offering and uh, fornicating in the house of God. Thank God you can't relate to that. Uh, and you're not leading a nation. So, so it's an extreme story. And some, I believe God gives us extreme stories to, to show us the principle in, in the, the principle in the most extreme cases where Israel was captured, the ark was captured, and this, uh, the, the mother of Ichabod died. She died in childbirth. And so, 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 and, and it was just t terrible. Eli eventually falls off a fence and breaks his neck and dies, and it's horrible. Samuel, little Samuel, young Samuel had to live through all of that. But, um, okay, so that's an extreme case, but why would you settle for a little bit of hell when you could start living with a foretaste of heaven? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Perfect submission. Perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bringing from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Even though the claim and call of God does indeed sometimes result in suffering, even premature death, so does everything else that you're doing. <laughs> Driving your car, everything can result in suffering and premature death. That's not the point. More importantly, the claim and the goal of, call of God delivers everything it delivers everything that self-centered individualism promises but never can deliver. Total self-rule, total focus on my own happiness can never deliver the kind of liberty and freedom that it promises me, but God can and does. Finally, 
See, I think that, and I don't like to criticize people because I think a lot of guys out there and gals that are preaching and stuff, they're, they're doing a lot of good and they're doing, sometimes they're doing way more for God than I've ever done. So I'm very careful about that. But, but I think sometimes those who preach a, what we would call a prosperity gospel, an extreme prosperity gospel that, you know, you can straighten every dog's tail out and uh, walk across the water anytime you want and, you know, kind of... I, th- I think they get it right. They just, they just get ahead of themselves a bit. Yeah, the miracles and the goodness and the greatness, it comes. It comes. You have to go through the fire sometimes to get there. You have to go through the cross to get to the resurrection sometimes. But it's waiting on you. And I don't just mean in eternity, though that's, that's pretty important. It's also waiting on you in this life. There will be, the Bible says, oh, this is great. Some of you need this. Listen carefully. The Bible says we're changed into his image from glory to glory. Right? So life is, life is that. And some of us just, we think about that. But, but remember, it's that again. And then it's that. Then it's that. And you're going to have more mountains. If you take that trajectory, you're going to have more mountains than you're going to have valleys. Amen? I thought someone would get excited about that. (laughs) You are, here's the final point. Everything we hope and nothing we fear is ultimately true. Everything we hope, nothing we fear is ultimately true of God's claim on our life. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I say this today. I told you I would end on a positive note. To be claimed is to be loved. The gospel is this, Tim Keller said. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet all the very same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So to be claimed is to be loved. To be claimed is to be secured. I do not believe our free will is rendered inoperable by our initial surrender to the will of God, but neither do I believe that anyone or anything can extract me from the Father's grasp. Furthermore, everything which happens to you and I, if we are surrendered persons, ultimately turns out to our advantage. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who call it according to His purpose. That's not just a cliche. It's the Word of God. Finally, to be claimed is to be centered. Everything is moving and shifting. Everything is moving. Self, you're going to build around yourself? Well, I'm always shifting and moving. I'm always changing. Moods, physical health, what I think, what I feel. I look back at my sermons 20 years ago and I can't believe I really believe that stuff. <laughs> Everything is shifting. Religion, organized religion is shifting. I mean, pretty soon we'll probably go back to wearing robes and singing out of hymn books. <laughs> it's always shifting. Culture is shifting. Go back. It, if, if, you think, if you think, well, what we believe today in the world is really cool. It's really cool. It's just really cool what everybody believes today. I'm so glad to be cool, not like you people that aren't cool. Well, go back 30 years, 40 years. They thought they were cool. Now we think they were crazy. Go back 100 years. They thought they were, they were progressive. Now we think, what morons. Listen, God's calling us and saying, build on something that doesn't move. Build on something that doesn't move. A compass is only useful if its magnetic attraction is to something that's not moving. If you put a magnet on your back, your compass will not take you anywhere but circles. If, you, if your magnetic attraction is the North Pole, you're going to always get where you want to go. 
I'm inviting you today, and some of you need to do it for the first time, or the first time in a long time, and some of you are just getting off a little bit, and you need to get back. You need to get back to establishing the North Pole in your life. And so, Jesus, I'm going to believe in you now. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your word. That's what I'm going to do. Pursue happiness and self-rule, and you will lose both. Surrender to God and His claim on your life, and you will have God plus greater happiness, ultimately. And you will actually have greater self-rule. This kind of happiness is called joy, and this kind of self-rule will protect you from destroying yourself. (laughs) So, what does surrender look like? What does surrender to the claim of God look like? Well, uh, the first thing that came to my mind when I asked myself that question, what does self-rule look like? Because I thought, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself because I thought of a checkbook. But nobody, does anybody use a checkbook anymore? You use a checkbook? <laughs> and, I, and I thought of, now, now we pay for things digitally and, and with our credit card and our debit card and, and Venmo and Apple Pay and all of these things. But it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You just don't sign your name. But you put your infor- I'll put all your information there. You make all your information available. And somewhere you agree to a, a, an amount. I think before inflation, you could buy anything for $19.95. I think it's $29.95 now. But it, it, just, just bear, bear with me while I go back to the checkbook. In the, in the old checkbook days, you, 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 put, you dated it. You put your name on the bottom. You put, in the memo, you would write what it was for, maybe. And, and, and then in the top line, you would, you would write it, you would, who the check was made out to. And then you put in the amount. Well, surrender to God is you do exactly that, except you leave out the amount. You let God fill in the amount. You say, God, I'm going to give you a blank check. Because I trust you. Because I trust you. Because I trust you. Oh, people today need somebody to trust. People today don't have anyone to trust. The world that we live in has nothing to trust. Not only is there no North Star, not only is there no North Pole, there's no one that they trust to write a blank check to and say, whatever you want, I know it's going to be best. And I know it's the best thing could ever happen to me is for you to have your perfect way in my life. And that's what I want us to stand to our feet. I don't know if we can sing that or not. I don't know if it's in key I can hit, but let's try. From the beginning, all to Jesus. If you surrender, would you just raise your hands and say, this is my surrender to him. I freely give. I will Love and trust Him in His presence. Hallelujah. Sing it, sing it. Sing that chorus again. Sing it again.
Hallelujah. When I, when I was a little boy, six years old, I used to sit in the front row. And uh, I, I loved church, and I loved all the evangelists who would come by and all the singers. And I remember a singer named Ike Davis came by, and he was impressed that this little kid, blonde-headed kid, was sitting in the front row. And uh, he, he pointed me out and dedicated a song to me. And I still remember it was a song about David, about David and Goliath. But I also remember, it's funny that I, I have such clarity with this song that, uh, that Ike Davis sang all those years ago. And the words, I, I remember them. I didn't even have to look it up. I couldn't. I tried looking it up, and I couldn't find it. It's so old. I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about 51 years ago. And it was during that time that I accepted Christ as my Savior. And uh, here's the words. I'm going to put them up on the wall for you. I don't want to be free from the task that you gave me. I don't want to be free from the load I'm to bear. This weight may be heavy, but it's a privilege to bear it. So from your guiding hand, Lord, I don't want to be free. How many of you, maybe you're here today and you've, you've just wanted to be free from all of this, all the, the burden, what you call rules or whatever, or the burden of caring for others and serving, but today you would say, I don't want to be free anymore. I want to be bound to God. I want to be, I want to be bound. I, you know, they, they had bond servants in the Old Testament and in biblical times, New Testament, and everyone, sometimes a servant, they, they had periods of time where slavery was very different in the Bible than, than the race-based slavery that we had in, in, in the world later. And, and they would, uh, they would uh, often a slave would have it so good that it would come time to liberate them and the slave would say, I don't want to be free. And they would become, they called it a love slave. And they would, they would take him, they would put this earlobe on the door jam and they would put a hole in it and put an earring in their ear. And you know when you saw someone walking out with an earring that they were a slave by choice. That's what God is saying to you today. God is saying, would you become a slave by choice? Would you choose, would you choose to tie your life to God's will and find joy and delight in it? It's okay to care about benefits. That's okay, guys. You're smart to care about benefits. But, but there's another focus, and that is the claim of God on your life. Just, let's just, I mean, where do we have to go that's more important than this? Do you have any place that's more important than this? Do you have anything to do right now that's more important than this? Just spending time. Let's, let's just take a couple minutes and spend it in his presence. Give him honor. Lord, we give you honor. Just right there. Start your own prayer meeting right where you're standing. The Just have your own little prayer meeting right there where you stand right now, okay?
one more time. Oh, how great. Sing it out. been thinking about something and, and uh, about I'd love to get together you know I, I love Sunday morning it's great but we always have this we always have this time pressure and uh, we're told that if you don't get people out in an hour they won't come back you know so we always have this time pressure which which I understand it and I'm fine with it you know to, to a certain degree but I've been thinking lately I just love to have some times when we would come together and just worship. I, I'm just so hungry for that, you know, and I like preaching and I like all this that we do and all the programs, but what if God, I just wonder if God's not calling us to prayer and to worship and to have some times when we're not worried about who we might offend because we talk about that subject or that subject and, and you know, we should care. The Sunday morning service is a time when we want everyone to feel welcome and and and, and I don't mind self-censoring once in a while to not uh, uh, not uh, hurt somebody. But um, boy, I think I think we could really use a time when we just wait on the Holy Spirit and get filled with the Spirit again. And uh, but it, if you don't show up then it's not going to work. So you got to show up. If I set a time that we're going to worship, and uh, I'd like to go down to the forum building because we could put a hundred of us, if a hundred of us showed up to worship, it would just feel so, it would be so energetic. Now if we have 500, we'll come here. That's great. But let's start with a hundred. You know, maybe, now that building will comfortably seat 120 and that is a very, that's an interesting number, right? <laughs> that, that's how many showed up at the upper room. So let's do 120 night at the forum building. And I, I might be able to persuade. <laughs> maybe, uh, would you come and play in, in, for us if we did that? Okay. So, so I, got, I got Abe and I on board, so <laughs> let's do it. God bless you. You're wonderful. Thanks for letting me go on and on today. <laughs>